wanted to just take a second just to, just to begin with you and the Lord. And I think it's healthy for us at times to be able to just just take a second in our mind's eye and just picture ourselves staring right at Jesus. That's going to happen someday. And everything you thought was important is going to be gone. There's something about the fire in those eyes that just consumes and devours absolutely everything. All your theology, all your experience, all the things you did and didn't do burned up in an instant. The only thing that's going to survive that moment is what he did through us. I tell the Lord all the time, I, I need I need you to worship you. I need you to pray through me. Because I'll mess it up. see a people a lot in this culture today that Christians that we're really moved by everything around us instead of everything in us. I'm pretty sure Jesus isn't freaking out at what's happening in the world right now I'm pretty sure he doesn't get upset when CNN and Fox News and all the rest of them get up there and say what they're saying I'm pretty sure he's able to hold his peace I'm pretty sure that he's okay when the biggest calamity of your life hits you because he saw it coming and you know what there is no wave that can push you to push you it's because your eyes are not, not on him and so I think sometimes when we come to church and we come to different places we, we're waiting for an event or a circumstance or a moment to move us when God's waiting for us to move that moment so I just want to take a second stare into those eyes just for a minute and say does my life make sense right now family makes sense right now? Does my home make sense right now in the presence of those eyes of fire? And if your life were sucked from your body right now, what regrets would you have? you when you see those eyes all you're going to see is this great powerful love that's going to level you in 
and those who are going to have the hardest time in that moment are going to realize that they didn't love him as much. That's where the wiping away the tears are going to be. When we finally see the amount of love that God has for us in full raw power. we put our focus on what we thought we believed. Because I'm telling you, He's worth it. Whatever He's asking of you, He's worth it. You think it's hard to give up something or to do something or step into something or believe something or stand on something. It's going to be much, much harder when you stand before the eyes of love. Give your 
May we satisfy the longing of your heart and the travail of Jesus who sits at your right hand. Because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We honor you, Father, and we thank you. We appreciate you, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. you can hold a moment in your heart and let the Lord just begin to continue to work through you. You guys, if you have children and you want to send them to children's church, you can. And if you'd like to keep them with you, you can do that as well. Um, For those of you who come here regularly, we have that prayer paper on the back. This is the last Sunday that's going to be setting out there. So if you haven't signed up and you want to, This is the time to do it because I'll be picking that up this week and then we're going to carry on with who's on the list. So if you haven't put your name on there and you want to pray for a specific allotted time, um, then please choose that time and write your name in the appropriate box there. We have a a thing we're trying to to do. I don't know if we're, well, I don't think we're going to cover the full 24 hours. We have the capability. (laughs) I just don't know if it's going to happen, but we're going to take what we can get. So we have a piece of paper over there. There's time slots in that to where um, you can sign your name and say, I'm going to pray over um, America, over the body of Christ, over the church of Jesus for revelation, for glory, for manifestation of power, for reformation, for revival, um, warring for the saints of God, praying for one another. Um, And then that's your allotted time slot to do that every day uh, until the Lord um, releases us to go back to what would be a normal schedule. So that's there. You can use that, uh, utilize that. I say it's, this is the last Sunday. I'm going to have it up there. So we want to really get everybody on the list who wants to be there and move on with this. Also, um, just real quick, we, we got some new Son of God bracelets over there, you guys, if y'all want some. There's a um, little donation box there you can donate. If you want to wear one of these, it just says Son of God, and it says John 1.12. And it's something maybe that you can put on. There's some youth sizes. I think there's some large sizes. So if anybody's got super big wrists and those don't fit and you want one, let me know. We have them in the back. That's just something to remind you who you are as you're going through your day. You know, as you're looking down, as you're working, as you're doing what's going on. Remind that God is with you. He's for you. He's called you to be a son. Um, You're not a Christian, contrary to popular belief. That's what the world called us in the Bible. There's only two times that that actually was written as far as the identity. And it was what the world called something they couldn't define or express. Because when Jesus manifests himself in people, it is undefinable by society. But when God calls us sons, that's women included. There's no male or female in Jesus, right? I say it all the time. If I can be the bride of Christ, you can be a son of God. I'm good with being a bride, right? Uh, was that everything I was going to say? I don't know. Y'all okay? Thank you for coming. I appreciate you here, uh, being here. I know we have a lot of people who are out and sick, and and um, pray for them. They're uh, going through some rough times. So uh, we had some of our team gone this morning, and and we're trying to do the best we can. You know, when one member of the body suffers, we all yeah, we all suffer. <laughs> And you get close to people and you know things and you feel that, you know, and then they're not there. You're like, dang, 
I really miss them, you know. So uh, if you guys are watching by live stream, we love you guys. We are praying for you, and we pray that God uh, does great things in your heart even where you sit. We've been talking about mind renewal over the last three or four weeks. How many of you guys, it's helped you a little bit? Praise God. Um, I think it's something that uh, when the Lord spoke to me about to bring it back up to the church, I feel like it's a crucial issue that many of us um, undermine. We don't realize the value or the importance of doing it. Many times we get a little bit lazy in our Christianity where we come to a point where we just kind of exist in our own theology and don't realize that that same lifestyle is choking the life out of us, yet we continue to do it. Does that make sense? Um, If you look at your life and you are the same as you were a year ago, you're operating in an unrenewed mind. If you look at your life and you're the same as you were 10 years ago, you're really operating in an unrenewed mind. Because renewal of the mind isn't a one-step process. It's a journey all the way till death. You'll never get to the point where you have the full capacity to be able to be um, what you want to be for Jesus. There's always going to be something else he takes you to, something else, some other glory he reveals to you. And to get into the next glory of your life, you're going to have to let go of the old one. And that is sometimes the hardest thing for Christians to do. Because the old glory that we had was good. Jesus says it this way. He says, when, when no man puts new wine into an old wineskin right? When God begins to do something new in your life and he tries to pour it into an old way of thinking or an old vessel, even a vessel that was formerly good, the new will destroy what was old. You can't take what God is doing now and bring it into, or then and bring it into now. God builds and builds and builds his house the same way he builds his people and the same way he's been building all throughout creation to one massive crescendo where it's going to end in the coming of Jesus Christ. What a powerful moment. And so when God's moving forward from glory to glory and strength to strength, many times what we do is we take what we've had in our past and the things we know and the things we've studied in the Bible and we try to build some sort of uh, operative theology on it and to manage our circumstances now. The problem is is that the circumstances God has given us now right, are completely different than the ones we faced in the past. That's what the danger of religion is, is that when somebody has something right and they sit on it for too long. See, we look at religion as a bad thing. Religion is technically correct. (laughs) Even Jesus said, the Pharisees are right. Do what they tell you to do. Just don't be like they are. Why? Because there's a difference between theology and the character that carries it. And you can say the right things, but if your home life and your life and your prayer life and everything's out of structure and it's out of order and it's out of whack, it doesn't matter how correct and accurate you are. It doesn't matter how well you can string those words into a sentence and articulate them to somebody else to where it causes them to have a little bit of a Holy Ghost similar goosebump experience where they're like, wow, that's awesome. If you don't possess it in the character and nature of your reality and humility before God, it is powerless to change you. It just makes you look smart and everybody else dumb. And that's pride. Jesus never argued his points so that he could be right. He was right. He is right. He'll always be right. (laughs) You with me? When God begins to challenge our theology, it's not to prove that we're wrong. It's to prove, it's it's to usher us into his being accurate. It's It's to usher us into his thoughts and his mind out of ours. People say, well, I I have Jesus and I have the presence of God. Do you know why the presence of God comes to your life? I've said this over and over again. You know why the presence of God comes to your life? Not to condone where you're at. 
It's to call you out of where you're at into where he is. People think that if the presence of God shows up that they've got something that's going on that's right. Well, in our church, there's the presence of God. Well, that just means that you're, God's trying to get you to somewhere other than where you are. <laughs> you with me? Oh, when you're in your prayer closet and God touches you, it's a, is it because he wants to leave you exactly like you are or is he trying to pull you out of that into something else? See, the presence of God, when he shows up, it's, it's not because he's saying, you know, well done. You're going to hear that in your heart by faith. But when the presence of Jesus shows up, it's to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's his job. So when he comes, he's constantly convicting of, of some sort of missing the mark in our life. He's constantly convicting us uh, on where we're not living a righteous way, which is by faith in the cross of, of Messiah Jesus. And then he's also convicting us of the coming judgment, which keeps us focused and not distracted upon this reality of this world. Yes. Are y'all okay? Yes. You're looking at me funny. All right. Biggest job, the biggest, biggest war I've ever had in my life is trying to make full people hungry. So when I when I preach, I always. The gut behind my message is to try to get you to be hungry for somewhere other than where you are. Because where you are isn't helping you. If it was, it would have fixed you by now. So I'm, I'm impressed with what you know, I just don't care. I'm glad you had all kinds of experiences and healings and prophecies you've prayed over people. I'm, I'm, that's awesome. Thank you, Jesus. But that's not where you need to be. You see, most, most Christians have their identity in what happened in the past. When Jesus says you owe none of that. In Romans 8 and Corinthians, Paul talks about the fact that you own all things. You possess all things. And the list that he gives there, everything about everything in life, you own absolutely everything except the past. And people think, well, that's just sin. No, that's everything. See, everything that was done for him is still his in the past. Everything that was done right was still his. He owns it. He was done through you, for him, through, by him. By him, for him, through, through you. But it's his. He owns it. You don't own it. You, don't get, you can testify of his greatness, but that, that doesn't mean that that gives you the liberty to insulate yourself against current conviction to move out of that into something else. There is no past revelation that releases you from a future glory. So I'm thankful for testimonies and things like that, but, but you need a new one. We need, we need to operate in the mind that Jesus gave us. So, so when we're looking at the mind of Christ, what we have to look at is that God sent a man with his intentions and inserted him in the middle of our intentions. And that created a war. Out of all the people on the planet, in the time of Jesus, only one thought the way God thought about his generation.
You with me? That's why I get concerned with Christians who are so politically caught up. I'm not against politics. I'm just against them ruling my mind and my life and my heart and my emotions. I'm going to vote. I'm going to pray for my leaders. I'm going to be on my face. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. But I don't care what they do wrong. I know what Jesus has done right. Who cares if I don't see it in my day? My job is not to demand that God fulfill everything according to my wants and my desires, according to how I see it happen in my lifetime. My job is to be a true Hebrew of God and let him rule through me in posterity and build something that will be here after I'm gone. What if our part of fixing this political issue is raising enough sons and daughters with the right mindsets that the next generation is able to overthrow what we're afraid of? But if we're so focused on the fact that what's going wrong and how bad it is, we miss the training of our own children. The devil's sneaky, and he really slithers around in the Adamic mind. You understand Adamic mind, the mind of Adam. So, so when we begin to understand God, God's mind, we begin to understand God's intention. And God has an intention for your circumstance. The difficult circumstances you're going through, God has an intention for those circumstances. And it's usually not what we intend. We want the happily ever after intention. And God says it's not always like that. It's not always like that. I want, it, I want you to give life even if it means your death. See, because sons of God are the only being on planet Earth that have the ability to purify evil. And we're surprised when Jesus sends us there. Well, I'm just led by the Spirit. Well, you know what that means. You're going to the wilderness where the devil is. You know, we like to make that some sort of religious cliche that just, you know, excuses us from anybody else's advice and counsel. Well, I'm just led by the Spirit. <laughs> just chuckle and walk off. I'm like, whatever, man. <laughs> whatever. Whatever you want. Hey. How do you treat your wife? I only had two amens, but that's okay. We'll go with it. <laughs> I figured more women would have been behind that when y'all ladies let me down there, but we'll keep moving on. See, if we, properly, if we don't properly discern God's intention, we're going to manufacture a different direction. It takes the mind of God to understand the plans of God. If you haven't heard the last couple of messages on mind renewal, you probably, wouldn't, you probably want to go back and listen to them. You, you can do that online or on Facebook or YouTube. But I feel like it's important. So I want to take you to Isaiah chapter 40. If you can go there, we're going to start in um, verse 3. That's pretty lively. I'm going to break out in some praise if we keep that praying going on. All right. Um, 
So, it, so the, what you have to understand is in the Old Testament, the prophetic word that was given to the people of God was for a future intention that God wanted to carry out, yet he could not do it under the current conditions because mankind wasn't postured in righteousness before God to be able to carry that intention out. You with me? So the prophetic understanding of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament was a, 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 a declaration of God into his intention of what we would be through Jesus Christ in his operation. So, so what I'm saying is, is that in the Old Testament, God gives us these little snippets and these understandings of what his intention is, but yet in Christ now, it's been fully revealed and manifested. Does this make sense? All right, so when we read the things of the Old Testament, sometimes we look at them as if they're fully completed in Christ, and that is true, but there's a difference between establishing and, and manifesting. See, Jesus established what we're supposed to manifest. Without him establishing it, we can never manifest it. But within the manifestation of God is the glory of God. So you have this intention where Jesus establishes the kingdom of God. He calls us into that kingdom, and then we're supposed to manifest that kingdom. Why? Because it brings God glory. If we don't do our part, Revelation 4.11 can never actually happen, which is the full intention of what God started, created, and why he did it in the first place. All things were created for your pleasure and your glory were they made. See, we are the ones that stop God from receiving back unto himself the thing he originally intended. And many times we do so, it's because we're thinking demonically. Now, we think demonic thinking is, you know, lust and murder, and, and I'm not saying that, that it's not. But I'm, I'm saying that you need to understand that your enemy is not as dark as you think he is. If he were to show up in front of you, you would think it would be an angel from God. Because he doesn't want to be associated with the pitchfork and the red horns and the tail. He wants to, be, he wants to look like the Lion of Judah. He wants to be like God, existing in unapproachable light and power. In fact, his greatest demonic form is in the power of religion. Right. Yes. G the, the devil did not come to Jesus with, with lies. He came to him with the word of God. Yeah. You with me? <laughs> That's why, why that scripture, that, that, that story in the Old Testament where the woman tells Elijah after she raises, he raises the son from the dead, now I know the word of God in your mouth is truth. Interesting she says that because the word of God in some people's mouth, guys, is not truth. Come on. And see, an Adamic mind will think, well, it's scripture, it must be real, it must be true. No, truth is a spirit. Have you read your Bible? So when the character and the nature of something that's speaking the word of God is outside of the spirit of truth, it is not the intention of God. Okay? You with me? Okay. All right. Well. Okay. All right. So, so I want you to understand this is God's intention. Are we there? Did you make it there? Who's back there? Emily? Is that you hiding back there? Okay. Good. Are we at Isaiah 40. Verse 3 it says, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make straight the in the desert a highway for our God. 
So this is what God int intends. God intends that in the middle of the wilderness, that there would be a highway for God. How many of you guys have wilderness experiences? Or it's dead and dry and nothing and demonic and attack and difficult. And the last thing you think is, is this is where I need to build a highway. You know, you're like, get me out of here. Beam me up, Scotty. Get me out of here. You don't want to be there. You want nothing to do with it. You want God to take you out of it. You're praying that you'd be released from it. And God says, no, I put you there to build something. And the fact that you were there is going to cause everybody else who comes behind you to be able to travel through with ease. What does a highway do? It's a portal between two realms, two destinations. True or not? So God's intention was to make a highway through the difficult places of life. You with me? Who builds that highway? We do. We do because he did. Where did Jesus go? He went to the wilderness. Why? Because he was the first one that plowed through that demonic stronghold that kept us from being able to make it through hard times. How did he do that? By developing such a mind of God that when he got into that type of situation, he wasn't removed by the circumstances he was in. He was only moved by what was in him. Amen. He was properly able to discern the word of God in the wilderness. And that's when you need to discern it. Because when the devil comes to you in your wilderness experience, he's not going to come to you with lies and manipulation. He's going to come to you with a form of truth, and you have to begin to be able to f f process through that and know what God's intention is for you in that moment. Amen. Does this make sense? Yeah. Okay, let me, let me prove it to you this way. Do you realize that, <clears throat> that what the devil was telling Jesus was inaccurate, even though it was the Word of God? Why? Because the word of God outside of the seasons of God is untruth. Okay. If God has you on the cross, you are not going to be able to quote scriptures of blessing. It, they don't work. No matter how much you have them on your refrigerator magnets or your bumper stickers, they're not going to work. Because the seasons dictate the sun. Jesus operated in his season. True or not? Wisdom literature, right? Ecclesiastes, Solomon, who is the representation of Old Testament Christ bringing peace to the earth, says this, that everything's beautiful in season. If you try to get something to operate outside of its season that it's in, it's going to fail. If a tree tries to bloom in the middle of winter, it will die. Within the season of God is the operation of God, and what the devil tries to get you to do is change your season. If God has you in a wilderness, that's the best place you could possibly be, trust me. But you know what Christians want to do? They want to create their own season, create their own religion, and tell God how it's supposed to be. And then we begin to pray for God to release us from the very thing he put us into by formally answering our prayer to be like Jesus. He's like, wait a minute, I thought you asked to be like my son. My son goes to the wilderness. You don't want to go there, but do you want me to answer your prayer or not? But, it's, but I might lose my life. You're going to die anyway. So the idea was to make a place through the wilderness where God could begin to, to, to have his way in, in, in operation through people. 
And as the sons of God begin to build these places, what happens is that God begins to be glorified in the, for, in the former places where he wasn't. See, God wants his earth back. He wants his people back. He's tired of the devil owning the wilderness. So how's he going to get it back? He's going to send you there. But most of his sons don't want to go because they're not truly led by the Spirit. I feel like maybe I'm taking a hammer to somebody's theology in here, but I'm trying to be sweet about it. (laughs) So it says, "In in the wilderness you prepare the way of the Lord. Does that remind you of anything in the Scriptures? Prepare the way of the Lord. What was the thing that John the Baptist preached? Say it again. Repentance. What is repentance? Changing of the mind. You see the circle here. You see the circle. We're we're talking about mind renewal. Yes? Yes? How do we renew our minds? How do we do that? Right? So when John the Baptist came preaching, prepare the way of the Lord, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, prepare the way of the Lord, that, that repentance he's talking about is the structure of building this place through life where you're not moved by the ups and the downs anymore. Where Jesus can literally come through you in that situation and you are not moved when the devil takes you up on the mountain and you are not moved when he takes you down in the valley. Because frankly, I'm telling you guys, whoever lied to you, I'm sorry, it wasn't me, but somebody told you that the demon's never going to have access to your life. He will. If you live long enough, you'll figure out I'm right on that. It just means that how you deal with it determines everything. Doesn't mean he wins unless you let him. Doesn't mean he has authority over you. He just gets his chance to smack you in the face and see if you're going to turn the other cheek. And if you don't and you respond with his character and his likeness, guess whose servant you become? See, the danger of of, of having an unrenewed mind postures you in the position of servanthood to the enemy. Because if you operate under his mindset, you become his slave, saved or not. Paul says, don't you know whoever you obey, that's whose slave you are. He's talking to believers. This is why we can sit, I, I, see, I see people all the time claim they're a son, but they live like a devil. They think like a devil. You know what devilish thoughts look like? Selfish thoughts. Demonic thoughts have you at the center, even if you're throwing God on top of your, yourself. They're still about you. Jesus didn't make his cross about himself. Why do we make ours about ourselves? See, if you properly interpret a cross, you're put there for the betterment of someone else. But if you make it about yourself, you're robbing from the people of God. But you don't understand what I have to go through. I don't need to understand. God does. And if you want to tell him 
that he's insensitive and sadistic, then go for it. But what he actually, what he actually believes is that you are powerful enough to overcome it. What you want is a Christianity where God makes you never suffer. Well, guess what? If he gave that to you, you can never be like Jesus. So John the Baptist's ministry was a precursor of the first coming of Christ, and and it will be a precursor to his return. You with me? When, when the spirit of repentance and the message of repentance starts coming back to the earth in the pulpits again and mind renewal starts to come, what it is, it's a rumbling of the coming of Jesus. Because it takes a people of God to make straight the path of God. Yes. It's amazing to me that why didn't God make his own path straight? Why did he need somebody else coming down here and doing something before he came? Because in God's original intention, the entire plan of God never rested solely upon his ability. It was always us and him together, co-laboring. And when one part of the, uh, of the equation is missing, then the intention of God suffers. <clears throat> so how do, we make, how do we make straight the highway? We repent. We start changing how we think about life and about what we're going through and what's happening in our life and what what we're having to endure. And what that does is it creates this this level field of play where people look at you and go, why are you not completely blown out spiritually and emotionally and mentally? That's why community is so powerful because you get close enough to people to watch them go through hard times. You look at them and go, dear God, I'm witnessing the spirit of Jesus in this person. I got to get behind this. What do you have that I don't have? How are you able to do this? It's not possible. And you respond, yeah, you're right. It's not possible. It is impossible. But what is impossible with men is possible with God. You with me? So he came, John the Baptist came preaching what? Change of mind. I said this in the first message I preached on this. If we don't change how we think, the message of Jesus will always and consistently be misinterpreted. If we use an Adamic mindset to understand the coming glory and kingdom, we are going to manufacture something that God does not create. You cannot understand New Testament reality in an Old Testament mindset. Modern-day religion is nothing more than resurrecting an Old Testament mindset while robbing from Jesus what he, what he established from us so that we can manifest it a different way. There's, there's certain things I hear in church all the time. People say certain things, and I'm like, that's not even relevant for us anymore. Why are you teaching that? And then I, get, and then I hear all the amens, and yeah, yes, they embrace I'm like, that's, it's, that's wrong. And you're, de- you're developing people's minds to see demons instead of Jesus. I don't know about you. You can believe whatever you want about yourself, but I'm only one generation away from God. I have a bloodline that's only one generation deep.
You with me? So the idea is to create something level and, 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 and consistent. Now, I'm going to help some of you who've been, who've been walking with Jesus for a long time, and I'm going to encourage you, some of you who, have, who haven't been walking with him for a long time but may have been saved for a long time. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm going to encourage you in some things. But whenever it talks about this, this consistent highway, this ease of travel from one port to the next, right? When you guys wanted to go a long distance, what do you, you, you don't take the back roads. You get on a highway. Because you can move faster. You realize it's possible to move faster through a wilderness experience? You realize that in the wilderness experience of, 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 of Israel, in the Old Testament, it was a 14-day journey? It took them 40 years? Because their minds weren't renewed. They were complaining. They were bitter. They were self-focused. They were lustful. <laughs> I promise you, some of you in here, some of you guys in here, some, some people in here, the only mountain is, that, that is actually in your way is one you built, and it's called the mountain of complaining. And you think it's the devil, and you think it's the people who hurt you, and you think it's the stuff that you did wrong, and you think it's your husband, and you think it's your wife, and you think it's your kids, you think it's this, and you think it's that, and it's literally your own mouth creating your own plateau that you can't get over. Because you've conditioned yourself to complain when times get hard. Because all you've done is looked at what you don't have instead of what Christ says you do. Well, how can I say, confess what I do have when I don't see it? That's called faith. It's Romans 4, 17. Have you read your Bible? You have the authority to call into being those things that are not as though they are. But because you're not calling them into being, they don't, they don't happen, which actually manufactures the, the, the depth and the empowerment of the lie. Well, it's not happening, so, it's not, so it must be real. No, it only seems real because you're not commanding it into being. Well, I did that once. We'll try doing it for 20 years and you might get your promise. Well, I don't want to wait that long. Well, then Jesus isn't worth it for you. Abraham waited 20 years to receive his promise. I'm sorry, but, you know, over the kingdom of heaven, it doesn't say Burger King. You don't get it your way. You don't get it your time. And you know what? Anointing comes from people who endure suffering for a long period of time. You know, have you ever seen a, po a powerful man or woman of God? Anybody wants that anointing? Pray for me, brother, that I have your anointing. They can't give it to you. Those types of anointings are achieved in years of faithfulness when everybody else is excusing why they don't have to live that way. They're embracing the things the rest of the church won't fill up. Paul says, I want to fill up that which is lacking in the body. Because you know what? There's always one thing that's always lacking in the body. It lacked in Paul's day and it lacks today. You know what it is? What did Paul say that he has to fill up that was lacking back then? New Testament reality. I mean, they're talking about signs and wonders and miracles and glory and power, New Testament church, all these other things, unity, community. What was lacking? Suffering. Same thing lacks today. Because somehow somebody told us we're Americans and not not children of heaven. You just happen to live on this continent. That doesn't mean that's your identity. I referenced this last week, but in James 1.8 it says, 
Don't be driven by the wind and waves and tossed. <coughs> right? Don't do that. Don't come to a place in your life where you're moved entirely by everything that's around you. See, here's the difference. Christians are moved by the storm. Sons move the storm. When you have something hit your life, if you've developed the mind of Christ, what you actually begin to realize is like, wait a minute. God gave me this as an opportunity to show forth his power and glory over something that everybody else is subjugated by. So where this giant killed off generations before me, it stops with me. And I will not let it go any farther. I don't care what kind of demonic religious strongholds over this city. It's been here for forever. I'm going to break it in Jesus' name. And I'm going to stay here until it does. And if it doesn't, in my generation, I'm going to raise up a people who will. Because this town has a bad testimony. And I'm not talking about racism. I'm talking about just freaking religion. Everybody who comes here is like, oh my God, the oppression. All the more reason for you and I to be here. I remember driving through this town as an eight-year-old boy on my way to Branson, Missouri for vacation, going to visit my aunt. We lived in Houston, Texas, and it was a 12-hour drive. When I got to the Baskin-Robbins there at the bypass, it's not there anymore, I knew we were an hour away, and I knew we were close, and I looked at my brother, and I'd say, my God, who would ever want to live in this town? Don't tell me God won't send you where you don't want to go. As an eight-year-old boy, I was saved and I loved Jesus, but I was dumb and I was immature. But I'll tell you one thing I understood was spiritual oppression. I would feel it when I drove through this town. I thought, who would ever want to live in this city? And God's chuckling. He goes, not only are you going to live there, but you're going to pastor there. And if he would have told me that, I would have ran a million miles the other direction. You know why? Because in this town, there needs to be a highway of the Lord. Everybody wants to leave to go to Fayetteville or Rogers or other places where the glory is better and there's more money and more popularity and more, more ability to build the church and more resources. But you know what? There's people here who are dying. And they're bound under the power of religion and demonic spirits of oppression that are cultivated in the church of Jesus. James 1.8 says this man's double-minded. He's unstable in everything he does. See, if your Christianity is constantly moved by what's going on around you, then you have a double mind. And what does Jesus say? If a kingdom is divided against itself, if a mind is divided against itself, what happens? It cannot stand. This is why Christians can't even hardly make it through a week because they haven't developed the mind of Christ. And as soon as something hits them, as soon as something goes against them or goes wrong, they begin to, you know, back and forth, back and forth. And then they wonder why they can never succeed. Do you realize that your journey, you might have to suffer more than two weeks? I'm serious. If you don't have a mindset that's, that's it's in the nature of God, the longer that you're suffering, the more, of, more vulnerable you are to falling. I'm going to give you guys some, some help here. Let's go to the next verse. Oh. Okay. All right. Y'all hold that right there. No, uh, I'm sorry. We're not back. We're back in uh, Isaiah. Forgive me, Emily. 
we're back in Isaiah 40. We're going to be in verse 5. But before we go there, I want, I want to show you this. Um, okay. So, 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 so sons move storms. You are a storm mover. When Jesus got on that water, what happened? He wasn't moved by the circumstances and the situations. He wasn't moved by it. Why? Because there was a highway that was made for him, a repentance, a mindset that had been laid in the earth that he could come in and walk on through John the Baptist. What does the Bible say? The Bible says this. It says that, that John the Baptist was the greatest of prophets, but whoever is least in the kingdom is greater than him. Why? Because of the repentance and because of the mind renewal that he possessed and he, pre- he presented to people, Jesus was able to come in on that prophetic order and be able to come in with destiny and power and create a highway. We've got to operate in that, right? So the Adamic nature, uh, the, the, the mind of, of Adam only operates through fear. Yes. Fear is, is the empowerment of the, of the mind of Adam and faith is the empowerment of the mind of Christ. So anytime you're in, in fear, I don't care what you think is going on around you, you're being influenced by the Adamic mind. And we'll quote it, oh, God hasn't given me a spirit of fear, but power, love, and sound mind. But the, the flesh is going, well, then why am I afraid? <laughs> I'll tell you why you're afraid. You're afraid of losing something. See, fear only has a power is if, if, if you're afraid to lose what it's, what's threatening you. See, some of you have Isaacs in your life and you're afraid God's going to take them from you. And you think that just because God gave it to you that he won't take it away. I'm not saying God's going to sadistically just take everything from you. I'm just saying that there's, if we have a posture of, of, of fear in our life that God's going to remove something that we, that, that we want, that I, may, I might suggest to you that you have an idol, not a blessing. That makes sense? See, the Adamic nature doesn't fear, it only operates in fear, but the, 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 the mind of a son holds nothing. Jesus wasn't worried about paying his taxes. He paid them by fishing. I need that anointing. So, so the Adamic nature has everything to do about prolonging, prolonging the, the inevitable death of our life. Does that make sense? The Adamic nature just wants to prolong dying. That's all it wants to do. So if you're in an argument with somebody, right, and you acting like an idiot, even though you might be right, your actions are proving you wrong, and you want to prove to somebody else you're right, all that is is you prolonging the death of humility. you don't want to say you're sorry because you're right but you're acting like the devil proving your rightness so truth to you is now a statement not a person because Jesus wouldn't do that right you with me so all the Adamic Nate mind does is, is try to offset death and try to prolong its own death whereas the mind of a son just naturally dies you know what I'm sorry I shouldn't have said it that way forgive me I'm just saying that hypothetically in the, in the scenario of the argument. 
I'm sorry. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have done that. That was wrong of me. Please forgive me. What did you just do? You exercised the mind of a God. With me? Real quick, we're going to go to Mark 8.31. We're going to read this through this real quick. I'm going to try to get through it, and then, then we're going to go back to Isaiah 40. It says, and, and Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed, and three days later be rose, risen from the dead. This is what Jesus is saying. He's teaching his disciples now that I'm going to die. Do you think this was a popular sermon back then? Do you think this caused all those disciples to reach in their pockets and throw the tithe in the bucket? That's why why pastors don't preach this. Because everybody wants to say, we don't have to do that. There's some form of, of religious rebuke that comes when people hear that they have to suffer and die. Some sort of theological reference that they're going to bring up in, in, the, in the category of being right, that they're actually going to rebuke God or rebuke the word of the Lord or rebuke a pastor or rebuke a prophet and say, no, you're wrong. And he spoke this openly, and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. I mean, I'd like to say I wouldn't have done that, but I don't know. I just don't know about me anymore. I'm, anything's on the table without Jesus. <laughs> I used to say I would never do that. Now I realize, like, yeah, you probably would. But anyway, this situation that this was in just blows my mind that he would take God. He knows it's God in the flesh. This is the guy who measured the sea in the palm of his hand. This is the eternal glory encapsulated in a human being. And he pulls him aside and says, you're wrong. I don't recommend that. But many of us do it in prayer all the time. Oh, I'm praying. No, you're complaining in prayer and calling it prayer. Yeah. Yeah. See, God doesn't, God doesn't hear though. You may be praying and he's, he's listening, but he's not hearing. And he's just going to wait for you to get done on your tangent until you finally go, God, I'm so sorry. Whatever you want to do with my life. And then he's going to go, oh, okay, that's, that's that. Now I'm here. You ever had those moments? The rest of you need to start praying. You'll have a few of them. And he says, listen, this is interesting. He says, he, he took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when he turned and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, right? Get behind me, Satan. He calls it for what it is, okay? If, you, if you're a highly offendable person, this probably would have offended you. You know, people leave churches over stuff like that. Oh, Jesus doesn't operate that way. He called his best friend the devil. Don't, don't give me that stuff. You follow him, he's going to offend you. The one pastor says, God will offend your mind to expose your heart. Sometimes the only way your heart can be exposed is you to be offended. If you, don't, if you get offended easily, you need to go read the word where it says in Psalm 119, it says, great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing will offend them. Yep. Offense is just simply a, 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 an environment where we don't love the word. It's an environment where we don't love the word of God. That's all it is. He says, get behind me, Satan, for you savorest, not the things of, of God, but the things of men. That word savorest means to, to exercise the mind. 
What he's saying is, is demonic thinking is exercising the mind in something that is not the will of God. Wow. Even though it's a good thing. Did Peter mean well? Sure. I mean, he loved this guy. You don't want to see him die. See, much, what, what we call ministry today is sympathy keeping people from what God ultimately intended them to be. If your ministry is about keeping people from sin, you have no clue of how God operates in ministry. Keeping people from sin is dictatorship. It's cultish. And yet most churches operate in that. You know what my opinion is? Go have it. Come back when you're done. I'll be here for you. Go get it out of your system. The Bible says whatever you find to do, do it with all your might. Because there ain't nothing where you're going. So he says you're not exercising your mind in the things of God, but you're exercising your mind on the things of men. That's what Jesus is telling Peter right now. You are thinking like the demon where you only exercise your mind on the things of man. Temporary, mortal issues, rights, wrongs, knowledge of good and evil, blah, blah, blah. You don't need to die, Jesus, because if you do, I lose something. It's about me. That person hurt me. Is it about that person hurting or is it that person, is it about really, is it about you? Because see, if that person hurts somebody else, you don't care about it until they've hurt you the same way. Then you find common ground. Does that make sense? Yes. Demonic thought has us at the center. So, so and Jesus says this. He says, get behind me, Satan. It's an interesting thing. You want to deal in warfare the way Jesus deals in warfare. You know where Jesus puts him? Right? Most of you guys, except for on the back row, have somebody sitting behind you, and you have no clue what they're doing right now. That's the way it needs to be with you and the devil. Yes. Yes. Something bad happens in your life and say, oh man, the devil's really taking I have no clue what the devil's doing right now, and nor do I care. I just know God placed me here because I have the authority to kill giants. Yes. Well, does it suck? Sure it sucks. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. But so is the world. I figured out the world was hard. It's so hard. I'd rather have hard with God than without him. That's just my mindset. That world's hard. You feel like garbage at the end of the day when the demon's been puking down your throat because all you can see what you've done wrong. I don't want no more of it. Get behind me, Satan. The things that are behind you are what? They're in your... The past you, you do not... So why are you spending most of your relationship with God based upon what the devil is doing and what you have done wrong? because you're not operating in a highway of God where your mind has come to repentance where you're able to lead people through something that, is, that has everything to do with God's glory. When you can transfer your difficult realities into the manifestation of somebody else's freedom, it gives you a purpose and a reason to die. But if you make it about yourself, all you can see is where God isn't saving you. And you're going to hear that voice in the back of your head. And you're going to want to quit. You with me? Yeah. See, the enemy is nothing more than a relic that, be that belongs in the museum of God. 
That's all he is. He's an ancient relic that belongs in the museum of God when he takes all of society, all of humanity past him and says, see the enemies I've I've destroyed. And I used you to do it. I used humanity to do it. Who did God use to take out his greatest enemy? A man. Jesus. A man. Do you realize he's still a man? He's still a six foot some odd Jewish person or maybe shorter. He's always going to be that. Always. He gave up his divine ability to be able to be anything else so that he could be encapsulated for forever in the humanity that we possess. I mean, come on. We sit here and, 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 and demonically identify our humanity when Jesus proudly put it on. He says, I'm the son of man. When he had the authority to say that I'm the son of God. It's so crazy to me when you read his verbiage. He constantly says and calls himself the son of man, the son of man, the son of man, the son of man. But when he addresses you, he says the son of God. Why? I don't know why. But he's in charge and if that's what he wants to say about me, then that is what I have to believe. Does it mean I'm better than him or more powerful than him? No, it, it means that he has taken upon himself the reality to bring me up into his level. And if I don't let him do that, I am in rebellion. Because I'm denying God the very thing that cost him his life in the first place. And I'm calling the sacrifice of Jesus nothing by not identifying with what he gave me. And I'm demanding him to do something else in my circumstance to prove he loves me. It's demonic. Like Tyler said, you need to, you need to develop a mindset of thanksgiving. How do you do that? Every time you have a need in your life, every time you see something you do not possess that you know God has placed in your heart, you thank him for what you have. You do not let your mind stray on what you do not have. You do not let your mind stray on what your husband is or isn't doing. You do not let your mind stray on what your wife and your children are or aren't doing. You thank God for what you have. I have women that come in all the time and with me and my wife and we counsel them and they want to sit there and complain about their husband. And I'm like, he's in church. He's trying. Is he perfect? Neither are you. My God, I have women that come in like, I wish, I just wish my husband was saved. And the next one was like, yeah, he's just religiously on top of me all the time. And I'm like, dear God, you're blessed. I know women who cut their right arm off to have a saved husband. And they don't want to submit because of he's not perfect. Well, then why should your children submit to you? If we're going to start laying blame, it goes all over the place real fast. We got to get our eyes off of that and onto Jesus. That is thinking like God Almighty. Does this make sense? And this is what he says. He says... uh, 
He says, verse 34, he says, when he called the people to him, his disciples, he said, whoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That's what Jesus says. If you want to follow me, take up your cross, deny yourself. What does that mean? Something in you has to die in order to follow him. Do you realize the cross didn't just kill that which was bad in you, it also killed that which is good? Because human goodness outside of Christ is still impure. What does Jesus say? Why are you calling me a good teacher? Only, only, there's only one that's good, and that's God. You know what he says? There's only one that's good, and that's God. So your good has to die just as bad, as much as your bad does. We're willing to get rid of the stuff that we don't want, but we're not willing to get rid of the stuff that we think is good. See, the, the, the difference between religion and sonship is choosing between good and best, not good and evil. Religion's good. Sonship is best. Oh, man. I'm sorry, y'all. Okay, so he says, you, whoever will save his life, What? Guys, do you get that? Yeah. How many times in your life, in your arguments, in your situations, your circumstance, all you're trying to do is just, just preserve your life? And you lose it. Why don't you just let it go in the first place? Well, I'm going to look like an idiot. Not to God, you won't. You'll look like a son. Whose opinion matters to you more? What's it profit a man if he, if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Do you know what that word soul means? It means mind. <clears throat> what will you give in exchange for your mind? What he's saying is, is you're exchanging the power of the kingdom of heaven for a mind that's going to damn you to hell. Your soul is where your mind, your will, and your op emotions operate. With me? Let's go back to Isaiah verse 40, or chapter 40, verse 5. We have the highway, right? And it says, it says, And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. So what's, what's the issue? It's the glory of God. Now let's back up to verse 4. Here's where I want to here's where I want to encourage you guys who've been walking with Jesus for a while. Right? I went through a season of my life where God didn't speak to me, talk to me, or, or touch me, or, or, or anything for a long, like years. It was rough. <laughs> I mean, imagine like having this relationship with Jesus and you feel nothing. Like it was so crazy to me because I mean, I had all this, you know, God began to wean me away from emotion. And after a while, what would happen is you know, he'd do it in a short period of time and I'd think, oh my God, I did something wrong. Where are you, Lord? And the devil's like, yeah, you sin. That's why his presence isn't in your life anymore. You don't feel him. And, da, da, da. and I was like, I don't remember sinning. I don't remember doing anything wrong. God, is there anything wrong with me? And then what I would do is I start going in my heart and my life trying to find something wrong. And guess what I found? Something wrong. So I try to fix that. And then the presence still didn't come. So I try to find something else wrong. You know what I found? Something else wrong. You know what? If you keep digging in the Adamic nature, you will only find what is wrong. Yes. I would rather have the Holy Spirit bring up my faults than me because he's much more gracious than I am toward myself. I tend to be a little religious and pay for my own crimes, thus saying the cross isn't good enough. 
And so I began to realize, wait a minute, what if it's not about something that's being wrong in my life? What if it's about God weaning me away from emotional constructs that constantly manipulate me? That my entire relationship with Jesus has now up to this point been based upon emotion, whether I feel him or whether I don't. And I judge services based upon the emotion of the service instead of the practicality of, what, of Jesus' presence by faith. I began to realize, well, wait a minute, maybe I need to just believe he's with me even though I don't feel him. And then I began to see it in scripture and I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. And then he gave me a week and then his presence would come and then he gave me two weeks and his presence would come back and then I had to do it for a month and, his, and then pretty soon I went through a season for two, three years where I didn't feel him. Ooh, that's rough. That right there will prove who's in it for them or who's in it for him. But you know what I began to feel, what I began to realize is I was, I was right in the middle of Isaiah 40, verse 4. That every valley will be lifted up and every mountain will be made low and even ground will become level and rough places will become plain. Yes. How many of you want your life to be plain? I don't think I want my life to be plain. Well, you know what? If you get the, val- the, the mountain peaks, you know what you're going to have next? And what we think Christianity is, the, the culmination of all Christianity is being able to go, Whoo, and be, Whoo, for the rest of our life. You can't survive that. It's not even real. What is the intention of God? To bring mountains down and to bring the valley up. What is that? It's a consistent highway through the dark places of your life where you're no longer moved by manipulation of emotional issues of what's coming, happening, hasn't happened or not. You will be walking straight with God whether you feel it or not. It's not exciting to walk a long straight road. But Jesus calls it narrow. It's the gate. Straight. It's the way that leads to life. And while everybody else is chasing conferences and seminars and church hopping and all these next new apostolic prophetic things and conf- you know, worship set, and all these, like, I want the high. Nobody's willing to walk with Jesus and just let it happen in their life. Because that actually requires you to renew your mind. That actually causes you to have to walk in faith and realize that God is with me whether I feel him or not. Why? Because he said so. I will never leave you and I'm going never forsake you. And he is not a liar. Well, why don't I feel it? Because that's not the criteria. So proper mind renewal brings you to a, a place of the fulfillment of the intention of God. What's the intention of God? That you walk with him. Straight. When he steps on the storm, what happens? It calms. When he's on the mountaintop, what happens? He fulfills what he's supposed to do there, and he comes right back down to level ground where the demon is. Do you realize that mountaintop experience that Jesus had with, with Elijah and Moses wasn't about him? It says they discussed things concerning his death and resurrection. That meeting was about us. He looked at the law of Moses and said, I fulfilled the requirement. And he looked at the prophet Elijah and said, I'm the prophetic destiny fulfilled in human flesh. Both of you have to receive my sacrifice for them and none of, them, none of you can condemn them ever again. <laughs> That's a great moment. And he didn't make it about himself. He made it about us. You know what we make our mountaintops about? <laughs> I'm just with a good place with the Lord, brother. Give it a minute. <laughs> I 
Well, I don't know why I'm going through this hard time in my life. Because you're built for it. Because God believes in you and places you where things need to be defeated. He is not going to place you where something doesn't need to be defeated. That's already happened. But oh, how we like to deify our past. Well, there was this one time when Jesus moved on me. You already beat that. You don't own it anymore. Move on. Press forward like she was saying. Press forward. Why? Because you're too comfortable now. You're existing on yesterday's manna and you're calling it good. And it is good, but it's not best. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, man. Okay, I'm going to try to hurry. I'm sorry. Um, okay. Move down, move down. Why? Verse 5. The glory of God. <laughs> That's the point. Why are you suffering for his glory? Well, it doesn't feel very glorious. That's because you haven't resurrected it yet. It's like I said, give yourself a minute. Now, I, I get people all the time, especially young people in my office. I'm talking to them, you know, I'm like, hey. And they're like, oh, I don't know this. And I don't know. I'm like, you're, you're, you're crucifying yourself for being a flower because you're not a fruit. But every fruit has to be a flower first. You're impatient. You're outside of your season. You're not waiting on things. You want it right now. You're calling God a liar. Stop. You're okay. Some people are like, well, I'm confused. You know why you're confused? Because you're operating out of two mindsets at once. No, I didn't do it. Well, God's not the author of confusion. You're, you're correct, but you are. You're the author of confusion when you're thinking like the devil. And if you get outside the mind of Christ, you are going to be confused. And people think, well, I'm confused in this circumstance, so therefore it must not be the will of God. <laughs> the circumstance is the will of God because you can't control it. The confusion came from you. You just need to change you, and then the circumstance will begin to glorify Jesus. Amen. We run from problems. Well, it must not be the will of God, so I'm going to leave because I'm, I'm confused. You, you brought the confusion. Do you see when Jesus was in the Gethsemane, he could have been easily confused about the will of God? And he could have been like, you know what, I'm confused about this. Just, I don't want to do this, but yet I know I'm supposed to, but I don't want to do this. Which one's the will of God? I don't know. Ooh, uh, I'm confused, so I'm just going to exit the whole situation. Confusion is operating in two minds at once. If you ever have confusion in your life, I promise you, you're dabbling and sticking your toe into the Adamic mindset or you're fully immersed in the endemic mindset and you're dabbling and sticking your toe in the, in the mind of God. It says, then glory will be revealed for all flesh will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Man, God wants to glorify himself through your situation. What if it takes years? All the more, the greater glory. The longer it takes, the greater the glory. Some of y'all are like, man, I'm fixing to come into a bunch of it. <laughs> you with me? So when, 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 we, when we deal with this reality, we've got to understand that the lack of feeling at times is not a negativity. It's God maturing us. 
So when you go through a season in your life and you feel like God's presence is lifting off you, but you're not in sin, not willful sin, I mean, you're, always, you're probably going to be doing something wrong somewhere, but that's not your, that's not your job to figure that out. As long as you're not in, in willful sin, you're obeying God the best you know how, and you're doing what he's asking you to do, and, and his presence isn't there, then you just have to trust him and walk and develop the mind that he's with me. He's with me. He's with me. All I feel is the, the attack of the, of the devil. Well, that's what you usually feel when you're in war. I don't know anybody that gets goosebumps when they're having a sword swung at their face. It just doesn't happen. You're going to feel the fear. You're going to feel it. In fact, in those times when God isn't, isn't like tangibly, emotionally present with you, you know what is going to be tangibly, emotionally present? Fear. <laughs> I just don't believe in it. In fact, I've trained my mind to the point when I realize the devil's showing up, I get kind of excited because I'm like, ooh, something about to happen. Because <laughs> he's a liar. Yep. The truth is coming. It may take a minute, but I'm just hard-nosed enough to not to quit. So if it kills me, it kills me. And if it doesn't, I win. Are you with me? All right. This last thing. Part of mastering the mind of Christ is learning how to forget confessed sin. with me to have God's mind over our past is to equally forget what the blood has erased now there's a big difference between forgiveness and trust and if you broke trust with people you're going to have to regain that but as far as forgiveness is concerned if anybody starts bringing up your sins you know who they're working for and it's not Jesus So if the devil's bringing up to you the things you've done in the past, good or bad, you know it's not the mind of the Lord. So you can reject the thought and move on. You with me? See, there, there was a, a tactic that the Roman army used to use. They bred what we now call mastiffs, and they're the ones that came up with the breed and they, 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 they developed this dog simply to take the human head off in one bite. They bred it up and bred it up and bred it up and trained them, and they, they would completely make them crazy, and they would, they would breed thousands of these dogs, thousands and thousands of these dogs, and make them absolutely vicious. And what they would do is they'd come to the, the forefront of battle, and they would, they would let them go. And they would run at the enemy and completely just run through the enemy. And the enemy would have to fight this battle because it was in their midst, right? They'd have to fight it and fight it, and pretty soon after they killed all the dogs, they were, they were debilitated, demoralized, and weakened to the point where the foot soldiers of the Roman army came in, it was very easy just to take them over. And they just breed more dogs and keep doing it. Well, Paul says in Galatians, he says, beware of dogs. He's talking about the act of circumcision, but what, what he's talking about is this, is that the mindset of you performing and being good enough for God is a distraction. Yes. You performing something in your life to be a better believer is a distraction against your true call. 
The act of circumcision doesn't make you holy is what he's saying. So any act in the flesh trying to, to, to purify the flesh and become something of God is a distraction. Why does he say beware of dogs? Because he, he knew the people he was talking to understood the Roman army's uh, mentality and operation. In other words, you're fighting a battle that isn't the real war. And anytime you start fighting a battle that's not the real war, you're going to be wore out when the real one comes. And so many of you, many of us, come to the place where we're fighting constantly this doggish battle in our brains where the devil's, you're not good enough, you're not good enough, you're not good enough, you're not good enough, whatever it might be, blah, 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 and we're, uh, and we're just so emotionally drained because of it that what happens is when he actually does come to attack us, we just roll over and die. We give in. We fight and argue and, bat- and devour and bite and bat- devour one another. Spouses, marriages, we, situations, community, we just, just attack each other because we're so, so wore out fighting these things in our head that when we come home from work and our wife or our husband's there and just, and then we're like, ah, and then everybody's just, just eating one another. Praise the Lord, right? I'm a believer, but I'm going to crucify my husband. Does this make sense to you? When we stop throwing rocks at every dog along our journey, we're going to conserve our energy when it's time to kill a Goliath. So I don't argue religious devils. As soon as I know I meet one, I keep moving. No, I I, I just keep moving. They won't let me love them. I just keep moving. I don't waste my time with them. I'll pray for them after I leave. God, open their eyes. Heal their self-deception. But I'm not going to waste my time trying to give the gospel to somebody who doesn't want it. I'm going to find somebody who's hungry. I'm not going to try to prove my theological points to somebody who disagrees with me. I've done this too long to waste more time. I know what I believe because I know it's worked in my life. It's worked in my family. It's worked. It's worked. So I'm not going to waste it. Don't waste it. If I find somebody who comes up, well, Pastor, I just disagree with you on that. You're, you're welcome to. But in the end, we'll compare fruit. I'm okay with that. I'm okay to see who's got more disciples in the end, me or you. I'm okay. And if you've got more, praise Jesus. You stand with me, please. I want you to see the importance of renewing your mind. Last week I taught you that you can't renew your mind in your private place, your quiet time. You have to renew your mind in the heat of the motion of battle. You can, you can pour in scripture in your private time. You can pour in the anointing of God. And yes, that helps, and we should do that. But when it comes time to renewing your mind, you have to do it in that flash of the moment where you stop and go, Jesus, I need you right now. And I refuse to respond until I know you're with me. You wait just a few minutes. And then the Holy Spirit says, instead of arguing, I want you to grab the hands of the person that you're arguing with and just begin to pray.
It's amazing that when you do that, people just don't want to argue anymore. And you realize, man, I used the mind of God against the enemy of God. And I possessed and established the victory of God. Thus securing the glory of God. Hallelujah. Does it always happen that way so easily? No. It's always a battle. Sometimes you'll be fighting yourself. Sometimes you're going to be fighting somebody else. But the battle is always the Lord. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood. You need to develop the mindset that when somebody's against you and in your face, you're, you're fighting a principality. You're not fighting a person. And the principality doesn't care about your theology. He's not impressed. What he's scared of is you acting like a son, walking in humility and death, and knowing that that person is more important than winning the argument and laying down your life for them the best way you know how, the best way they'll allow you to. And if they don't change, you planted a seed and you move on. And you don't take it personal, you just keep moving on. You see how this is going to help you in your life? The goal is not to have these great swelling movements in our life. The goal is to, to walk with Jesus. When I, when I went through that time in my life where, where um, I didn't feel anything, I would come to church, I'd preach, and people would come to the altar and I'd lay hands on them and they would just completely be destroyed by the anointing of God. I'm like, man, I don't feel nothing. This is crazy. Like, I don't feel anything. How come they're like, God, why do they get to feel it all? He says, because your life is about others. It's not about yourself. I'm like, all right. All right. If it takes me having to not feel so they can feel, so they can begin to understand they don't have to feel, then so be it. And then you begin to realize your life is nothing more than broken bread and poured out wine for other people. And if you live it any other way, it's demonic and selfish. the Holy Spirit begin to show you how much of your week is about you. Because when you start realizing that, that's your opportunity to turn. That's your opportunity. When you realize, oh my God, I have been like just a terrible person for the last few days. Don't beat yourself up. Stop right then and there and go, okay, thank you for showing me that I'm off. Thank you for showing me I'm off. You only showed me that, not to condemn me, but to pull me out of it. So, Father, we thank you for your grace that you say your unending love. Oh, we need so much. We need so much of it, Father. We need so much of your love in our life. We also thank you that we had it. And whatever's in the way of that exchange between your love and our self-life, I ask, Father, that it be removed, and I pray that we would embrace and endure the cross of Jesus Christ because of the love that we have for him. I pray our love would increase. God, my prayer lately, as I've shared with so many, is I don't want to love people. I want to be love. Because you are love. You're not an action. You're a noun first, and then you're an action. Love is a person. So I want to be that. So make me that, Father. Make me that for other people. And I thank you, Father, for your grace. I need more of it. We need more of it. 
I ask you to forgive me where I've been self-focused, self-centered, demonically influenced by good instead of divinely influenced by best. My purpose is established in the identity of Jesus and not the performance of some ritualistic religion. I honor you, Father, and I ask for you to be upon your people in such a way that their hearts and their minds would bend towards you and that they would consistently come into a place of repentance in their life, just a constant renewal of their brain and how they think, and they would begin to actually create new pathways of thought because you made them to create. We love you, Father. We thank you. We ask for your blessing upon the rest of this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen. If you guys are wanting to, we have some discipleship classes tonight at five. You're welcome to come back. If you can't or don't want to, that's totally fine. Either way,